This is episode nine of the Hustle Sanctuary. Today's guest, Josh Fisher. Hey. 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 What's going on? What's going on, buddy? What's up, world? Let's dive in, man, and and let's talk a little bit about you know where you're from, and you know when. I always think it's interesting because majority of people aren't from LA, so it's interesting to talk about like that moment that they're like, "I'm gonna go to LA," sure. you know. So let's sure. run through that. Where are you from, and um, etc. Well, I grew up in Ohio, in Youngstown, Ohio. It's like northeast, kind of in between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And I went to Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, and. Uh, while I was there, I became involved. We got major beef, by the way. I'm Michigan. Hey. <laughs> but it's all right. We're going to let it slide yeah, right now. That's for another <laughs> podcast. Um, while at Ohio State, I was part of Buckeye TV, which was a student television station that kind of started my sophomore year. And uh, that was my first year on campus. And so I found out that they were building this thing. I got involved. I ended up being the head of the music department. And part of my gig was to get music videos to play on our station because we were on closed circuit wow. in the dorms. That's dope. And so for that position, I basically had to reach out to all of the labels. And this was before like wow. really like on the cusp of like YouTube, but it wasn't like every video was on YouTube and like it wasn't all online. So I was requesting like mini DV tapes that they would send me and then we would ingest them into That's our system. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and through that, one of the coolest guys was a guy by the name of Andrew Luffman, who worked for David Saslow at Interscope. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of fraternity brothers who lived in New York. So I asked him if I would be able to get an internship. In New York? Uh, in New York. Right. During, uh, during the summer. And so he said yes. I went out to spent, you know, three months with him and uh, had a really good time, learned a lot. I met couple of cool people in Interscope and uh, one of the people that I kind of connected with was Jimmy Alvin's assistant at the time, Crystal Riley. And I sent them some ice cream because my family has an ice cream business. <laughs> and so I sent some ice cream to Jimmy's office. And That's that like kind the, of, the ultimate finesse right there. Yeah, it's, it, it's <laughs> worked out well for me throughout my whole life. Um, and, and that really got me a relationship with her, which brought me to the following summer. I reached out to her. Like, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for the summer. Um, you know, I was making music videos. I was doing, like, short films and doing stuff like that at Ohio State. And I was like, should I stay here and do that? All jobs are essentially Stepping stones. the same in terms of you, you learn as much as you can about something. You get in at the ground floor and you build your way up and through, you know, through an industry one way or another. Right. So I decided I wanted to be in music. So at that point, it was like doing whatever I can. Like I had like one of my friends. We would record him. I was doing music videos to get closer to the scene. I was yeah. interviewing artists, like whatever I could do to get closer to whatever like the center of what was going on um also while you figure out where you want to go right because ultimately yeah where you want to go what you want to be like you know i know that there's all different ways to be in the music industry you know and and i felt like marketing and and kind of like artist development was something that was you know where i wanted to be um and so you know if i would have stayed in columbus i probably would have continue doing interviews i feel like that's a short road though isn't it to a point it's like not the same road like la what i like about la and new york i feel like is there kind of is no ceiling you know i mean mean, you just can't always it's not always like the 
right available to you. Like, hey, you can just go have this internship at Interscope. Right, of course. You know? So yeah. I was like reaching out to them. I reached out to uh, Rock Nation. So even I with the even with Diff. the bomb ice cream, Not it Rock wasn't Nation, like at the time. But even with the bomb ice cream, it wasn't a layup internship. You still had well, to, like, I didn't know hustle. You and know, push. I didn't know. So I called Crystal and was like, hey, I'm thinking about you know coming to California and maybe getting an internship. Do you think that's something that's possible? Plus, it's like I had to figure out how to make it to California and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so to answer your question, it kind of was a layup because five minutes later, Interscope called me back and they're like, oh, yeah, you got an internship. You're going to be interning for DJ Moore Millie. He's Jimmy's nephew. That's like, dope, man. You're good. And That's so dope. You know, never underestimate the power of ice cream. guys. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I came out to Cali and, and started working with DJ and with Manny Smith. I was really Manny's intern, you know. Um, in A and R, in, in the A and R right, department, okay. and and for those of you who don't know, A and R is artists and repertoire, and they're the people that bring in new talent to the label. And Got so, them. working with them, I became you know kind of friendly. We started like you know, I w- my whole thing with internships was like be there and treat it like it's a real job. So be there as long as the people that work there. And yep. like at the time, it was like with a smile, job. Manny would get there at, at you know. 9 30 10 so i'd get there at 9 30 10 and he would stay till like 8 39 so i was there for like you know and that was like what i really realized was that from about 9 30 till about seven o'clock there's really not that much time for me as an intern like he's not spending a lot of time but from like 7 30 to 8 7 30 to 8 when shit slows down that's when yeah. it's like oh dude you've been here all day like you know what was going on like you have some questions cool i can answer those i can nice. have more time and so i've learned that in new york i applied it in la and then like you know sometimes you'd be sitting around at the end of the day like the the stragglers of the office so to speak would be like oh you guys want to go get some food down the street or whatever exactly. and then you know first few times all right guys see ya you know eventually hey josh you want to come exactly and so then i became friends with everybody and that was kind of like for me i was like well i'm friends with these guys this is like basically where i want to be i'm just going to stay interning as long as it takes um until yeah and, and that's an interesting process right because i feel like a lot of people that that, that get those assistant jobs they don't leave for a while right so you yeah, kind of have to you never wait know. for that opening yeah and it's like you know whether it's in the right department or whether yeah you know but I know people that have actually bounced around, like staying with Interscope. Like, yeah. there's a dude that went to finance, which is yeah. terrible. There's a lot ultimately of to get that, to like marketing or something. Role, yeah, you know? yeah. I know a couple yeah. people that was, you know, kind of started there and then were able to like find another position open in the company. And since they already kind of had an understanding of the inner workings, and yeah, it helped. That's a good lesson for people, right? Yeah, you for know, sure. yeah. Sometimes <clears throat> you know the path is not always. Straight you take line. the one step back to take the five steps forward, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I, uh, I, I had to go back home to help a friend. I, I promised a friend that I would shoot a short film with him. So I went back home to do that. And when I was in Columbus, I got a call that Chris Clancy needed an assistant. And so that, to me, was amazing. Cause Wait, connect these dots, man. We You're with Manny and DJ. I'm with Manny and DJ. The internship, a summer then, internship is essentially over. I had to go back Go home. back home, right. And I was thinking, like, all right, so am I going to, like, get a job here am i gonna what am i gonna do like should i go back to cali and just intern and, and continue working and like i knew i was in a place that i wanted to be in so i was like how do i stay in that space got you well how do i um, keep building yeah, basically how, right how yeah, do i keep yeah, doing that yeah. but, and then so then they called me and they're like hey there's this position open right do you want to apply and i was like 
Yes, of course. Like okay. marketing for Interscope Records, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I didn't really know Chris, you know, from the internship, mm-hmm. but we kind of met after that. And like through the, in- through the uh, interviewing process, he was kind of like, well, I'm not in Cal. He was like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's cool. I oh, think- because you weren't living yeah, in California. Yeah. yeah. Like right. He was like, it's cool. Like, I think I got it covered. Like, you know, appreciate you. And I was like, do, do, do. Manny, yo, I'm just going to come to California and what? try to get this job with Chris. If I don't get the job, can I just stay interning with you? And he was like, sure. So I was like, all right. There you go. Hell with it. And I got on a plane, flew to Respect Cali. Respect the hustle. You know, walked into Chris's office. Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, I'm here. I'll intern for you till we figure it out. Like, whatever you want to do. And he was like, you know what, dude? You got the job. A theme on this podcast, right, is like in these transitions... Like, so now you're, you went from A&R to marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, did you did you have sort of an a ultimate end goal in mind? Or were you just, like, taking it as it comes, basically? Or uh, I mean, you know? I think I got into the music industry to ultimately do it all. You know, I don't, I don't think I've... I'm not the type of person that was ever like, oh, I just want to be an A&R person. Okay. Like I always looked at business from like a holistic standpoint. Like if I really want to be successful in the music industry or any industry, but the music industry specifically, then I need to know how to develop artists. I need to know how to market and promote artists. I need to know. But you had this awareness really from like the early. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive, dude. You know, I started, you know, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't have a fucking clue. I was just like, "Yo, this is amazing." I'm just an A and R, and I'll yeah, figure no, it out. I, I, I wanted I to do it all, so I knew yeah. that those were all important things. And um, I felt like I would probably have the most success in marketing, um, only because I don't think, like, as a as a child, I wasn't one of those kids who was just like immersed in music at all times and immersed in like hmm. music culture like you know I even though you grew up when like bone thugs was popping that's well, your mean, hometown right music, yeah yeah but, like if you would have asked me about 70s you know, 70s music 60s music 50s no. music okay. 80s even 80s you know what i mean yeah. like as a child like it's like you know the hits but you don't yeah. know how they came to be like now you know yeah certain artists in, and now I can go back and I have a much better But now do you, have, do you have any reverence for like the history of labels like Motown or um, or Atlantic? Oh, like yeah. some of these things yeah. are, stories are incredible, right? Yeah, I mean, you know? I, I think that that's been one of the things that's been really interesting for me over the past three or four years is yeah. to really like start looking back into the history of of what we're doing and there's a book and, by the way on Ahmet Erdogan who founded Atlantic yeah. Records it's one of the best books I've read on music yeah there's Things one like that. what's it called what's the one you're talking about um it came out I want to say about three years ago it's basically a biography of his life um on Ahmet Erdogan you gotta you yeah, gotta I get read, that one I read yeah. one uh it's called The Last The Last Sultan yeah the that's last the Sultan. one yeah. yeah yeah The Last Sultan it was super dope so I read The Last Sultan yeah so you know, I have a lot of reverence for, like you said, I, I really like looking back into the history of the industry. And now, like over the last couple of years, I found myself really 
studying the pioneers of the industry, the Ahmed Erdogan, the Jimmys, the John Hammonds, the Jimmy yeah, Allen, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Doug Morris's, you know, these guys who were able to, like, in the 60s, it was kind of a different thing. In the 50s and 60s, it was like a different. I mean, do, it's just evolved. It's been think, interesting to watch the evolution of the industry. I'm going to ask you two, like a twofold question. Like, what do you think sets those that group apart from the rest of the people in the industry? Like, I'm talking about when they were coming up. What do you think that they had that most people maybe lack? Um, I don't know. I mean, they're all interesting <laughs> scenarios. You know, everyone has their own interesting path to get to, to where they've been. I mean, yeah. you know, Amin Erdogan himself was... Turkish ambassador's son and yeah you know. I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna put my yeah. theory out there I mean I think a lot of those dudes they they were the creative more creative dudes but they found money people Amit found a financial yeah. investor man or he had, sorry he came from money Amit came from money well, he came from money and but then he also found money he found money from a partner in Atlantic and um Jimmy of course had Ted Field yeah you know, Marshall Fields. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, that helps. <laughs> always. <laughs> yeah. Always. Um, you know, but a lot of this stuff, it stems from, you know, entrepreneurship and, and creativity. And, I mean, the industry is different now in terms of the type of money you can make. Yep. The returns on the money that you can make. Yep. The timing of it all. And is there room right now, given, like, how frayed the industry is, right, which you acknowledge, is there room... For moguls like that, could 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 like a future like Doug Morris be incubating right now? Like, or is the industry just so kind of wild west right now where it can't I mean, happen again? It's tough. It's it's different now. I mean, it's always there's always different challenges. Yeah. Um. You know, for any industry, and I think the last ten years, at least, maybe you know, even longer than that, really, like the last 15, 20 years have been a real challenge for the music industry. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not that the music industry was like some sort of, you know, I, I, people give the music industry executives a really hard time, but they ignore. What's the clear? What, what do they give them a hard time for mostly? About the way that they handled the technological oh, the revolution. Resisting um, it instead of embracing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it was the hard time. I mean, those are hard decisions. And, you know, yeah. I think that, you know, people maybe in hindsight, you can say, like, you know, I can see why it would be hard to, like, accept the future sometimes. Like, people are always fighting the future. Of course. You know? And so, you know, th those are hard times. I mean, but clearly there was a lot of mistakes made. Yeah. Um, also, I heard this quote recently, you know, fear fear makes a bad advisor yeah and they were just caught up in fear right because people were encroaching on the business so you're motivated by fear yeah. and honestly man a lot of label people too you know they're worried about their jobs man you know so fear is a motivating factor there and it can cloud your judgment i've yeah. seen it with artists haven't you seen it with artists too with like fear being i mean i think that's know, a part of human nature yeah you but know, you to, to be I scared think, to make total changes because it's like there's no, you know, it's a bird in the hands worth two in the bush. Right. You know, I mean, you might be able to, even though you can see that like doing something different is ultimately what you need to do, knowing when to do it and how to do it is a much different thing. Yeah, but know? it's the, it's the, you can't, it's the second and third guessing that can really fuck you up. 
I think. Like, Steph Curry's not at the free throw line, like, man, like, I don't know. I hope I make this shot. You know what I mean? He would miss more shots. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it it just depends, you know? It depends on who you are and what what your motivations are and and what your drivers are. You know, some people play better when they're angry. Some people play better when they're calm. So, I guess it just, yeah, you know, it depends. Um, That's true. But it's tough, man. But okay, so so getting back to the story, man. So so you're with Clancy, you come back out, right? And mm-hmm. and all right, so take us through it. So you come right out, you jump in this Clancy thing, and so what are your first thoughts? Yeah, I basically jumped in and got very lucky. Now you're an assistant, not an intern, right? Now I'm an assistant for Chris, who was yeah. at the time a product manager. Yep. And what are you working on? Um, G Unit Shady Aftermath. Was it during the height of it, kind of, it or just like, after? Uh, it was kind of on the 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 downward. You were working that Tony Yeo project, yeah. So I came oh, in. Yeah. I came in like right after Tony Yeo. Okay. So I did like Fifty Third album. We did the game's second album, um, but it was like during all that beef and all mm-hmm. that drama and like all that, you know. So it wasn't as fun as it was, you know during get Richard or die trying and first so, 50 so like simultaneously play. that's happening and then simultaneously like piracy is at an all-time high right yeah because this is like we went through that phase of like piracy is like this like fringe thing that's like happening with kids on college campuses mm-hmm. to like it's mainstream and there's no other option but to steal stuff yeah to like there's an option now you can buy it on iTunes but it has DRM yeah but it's still like easier yeah. to stream it I mean easier to steal it too like it became easier to buy it. and now we're in a place I think where it's now we're streaming it's streaming it's easier it's more like convenient like people are not I think people overestimated the amount of like influence not to pay for stuff like people I think people overestimated why people were using Napster yeah. as like they wanted to they didn't want to pay I don't think it was that they didn't want to pay mm. I think it was just that much better of a service there was nothing close to that I would have paid for Napster in a heartbeat two right. seconds I mean I no think problem. like I think tons I, of people I would think human beings it. like ultimately we want convenience and it was very convenient to just go online and well I mean you know, there, was a get moment, it. there was a moment there where it was e- literally well the the worst moment was when there was no other option but to steal it. There was no option. Right. You're a huge 50 Cent fan. His album was on the internet. Or in for, stores. For, or no, in it's stores. not in stores. It's only on the internet. It leaks. Oh, right. So it's right, only right, right. on the internet for the next week. What are you going to do? Not listen to it? That's insane. That's not going to happen. So, you're gonna, so you have no choice as a, as a fan. But I'm a music lover which a lot of people are and i still cop the album but i'm in a i'm in like a you small might still, group you might yeah. still cop the album but most people just want the music you know what i mean so once they have the music they're not gonna like then go buy it as well i did you know what i mean but i'm you know i'm more the minority though right yeah the majority you know right and and plus like you know there's diehard fans there's there's a spectrum of people i'm sure there's albums in your life that you've listened to and have on your hard drive that you didn't actually buy a physical copy yeah of course so it's like you know it just it depends, depends on how much you're down with the artist right. really if you're right tell us about the energy in the building like what was that what did that feel like you know during i mean it was tough because they're you know they're trying to figure out what's the right move and it's like 
it goes back to like some of those questions of timing because it's like we know okay so we know that eventually iTunes and digital will overtake physical at some point right right and so like how strongly can we embrace that so like okay so 50 cents album leaks right and so now we have different choices like we could put it on, on iTunes immediately. We could try to like force it into iTunes, which at the time still took like a week to ingest. It wasn't like this 24 hours that yep. it was now. It was like a week or two. We could try to like force it into iTunes early. And if we do that, Walmart is going to pull all of our ads because they wanted they had an exclusive window for something. So it's like, you know what I mean? So you wow. have all these different balances. How do you make everybody happy? Of like, yeah. Because it's like, <laughs> if, what's more important? Having it out there? To get it to the people that want it early or having it on the front and, of the bin at Walmart. And, and so a lot of times when you run the numbers, it was like, oh, well, we kind of have to wait because we don't want to piss off Walmart. Walmart yeah, is huge. Yeah, yeah, and we exactly. needed to sit on this, the front yeah, bin of yeah. Walmart for the next month. Yeah. No, 100%. And, yeah. and something else I think like that's worth mentioning here is, um, you know, labels, because the record sales started slipping, um, labels ushered in this 360 deal it's called which is you know a cut of the touring a cut of the merch and it pisses off a lot of artists and managers because they don't do a whole lot right for those revenue streams to earn those revenue streams but um was that sort of i feel like that was becoming commonplace when we were in the building right yeah that was so that was started back then uh that that was pretty early um you know i don't personally have a problem with 360 deals if they're done correctly with the right group of people and you know labels are tough man but they are putting up you know the money they're taking like the monetary risk and i i can see it like they're they're putting up the monetary risk for not as much money and in a sense they help create the brand i mean you know and so i feel like album t-shirts are not worth anything if there's not a great album Exactly, and if you can't make it, well, if you can't, if you don't have the money to market the album and and promote it, and you know that it would never exist. So albums are not. I'm I'm more reasonable. So cheap to make music right now. It's like it's not that cheap. So we got you know you're in the Fifty Cent projects. You're in the Game projects. I think you did Bone Thugs too as well. Yeah, they're come back. You know, like I said, I got really lucky because Kelly had set up. Who's Kelly? Kelly Clancy. Okay, she was she was an assistant a, there. She was an assistant before me. Oh wow! Um, okay, and she had kind of set up the precedent that you know the person working next to Chris would get marketing coordinator credit on the, the albums on their albums for because that project. She wanted the credit, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and so you know, I was able to be considered like a marketing coordinator. Um, and I think that was a fair title because, you know, mm-hmm. I think we were That's doing, what you were doing a lot yeah. of stuff, you know, hand in hand. And I was, you know, doing a lot of independent things, too. You know, Chris would trust me with a lot of different, you know, duties. It wasn't like I was only like scheduling phone calls and stuff. Um, and then Chris was able to get a promotion. He became the director of urban marketing at Interscope and gave me the opportunity to be the marketing director of that of the bone but that was right chris's promotion put him right under steve berman right who kind of you hear him on the m&m skits right Right. yeah right and you see him in (laughs) yeah uh, yeah the dre day video (laughs) the dre day video yeah yeah so when chris got that promotion he gave me the opportunity to be 
the marketing director for Bone Thugs Project. And that's kind of where I met Steve Lobel, who was important in my next And who step. was Steve Lobel? Steve Lobel was Bone's <clears throat> manager at the time and who is essentially a music industry manager and entrepreneur. He's a veteran, yeah, a veteran yeah, hip hop manager. Yeah, he started yeah. with Run DMC. He's wow. been with you yeah. know, Fat Joe and Ruthless and Crazy Bone and so that's Every, a, that's an opportunity for like we didn't really talk about this yet, but mentors are kind of important too, right? All, yeah, all the absolutely. Path. And this um, Steve sounds like a mentor. Yeah, I mean Steve. Yeah. Steve was a guy that had a lot of knowledge and had a lot of experience, and you know we got along really well. I mean Bone was an important, a really important project to me for a lot of reasons. One, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it, and prove to you know the building in the world or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, uh, Steve was like really open to having me involved. I think for him, it felt good because he knew someone at the label really cared. Mm. And so he recognized that and was like, I'm gonna, even though he's not necessarily the guy who can press all the buttons when I need the buttons pressed, you know, he's going to go. You need allies in the building, hard. don't you? Yeah. 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 And so we became, you know, pretty close and, and, you know, I would do whatever I could to make that project a success. And I think from it worked your out. Market, I mean, from your marketing you know, role, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, as a marketing director, you're basically the liaison between the artist and the rest of the building. So, like, he'll tell me that we need to do something or, like, I'll tell him, like, the radio department will tell me, hey, we yeah. need Bone to like show up to this thing. Like, yeah. Now you go to Steve. Up? Now I go to Steve. Hey, this so you're is the conduit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think we did a good job. I mean, album came out number one R&B hip hop, number two overall. Like, nice. We had a number one single on the project. Nice. We shot a movie. Like we had an idea to take our video budget. And, to do a movie and instead? A movie instead. Yeah. Wow. Did, did that happen? It did happen. <laughs> um we partnered with Code Black and had it like a little partnership with BET and you know it kind of didn't go as planned because so the plan was we, we wrote this script Rich Newey the director wrote the script and the plan was go to Cleveland with Akon shoot the video for I Tried and then simultaneously shoot the, the, the movie right so we get to Cleveland I Tried was the, the was first the single, single yeah, off of the album Akon. right right so we get to Cleveland and Cleveland's hit with the biggest snowstorm they've had in the last like 50 years. Wow. So that threw a wrench in everything. So the budget didn't increase, but we had to move the production to LA. And that was like a really big change. I mean, it made it more expensive, didn't it? And it changed the script. It changed changed everything. So then it it became really hard. I mean, we got it done. You know, Rich Nui pulled it together and made it happen. But but, there's no way that that came out as good. Right. It it suffered in a lot of ways. It suffered. So, you know, but the movie came out, it went on BT, it made money. It was like, it made its money back. Like, I think everything was, was cool with that. Um, and then from there, I kind of was, you know, in a position of trying to figure out what I want to do next. And I was young and hungry and I wanted to be. You wanted to move up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, and <laughs> yeah. I had big dreams and big aspirations. And at the time, there wasn't any other projects that I could really like oversee and, and Clancy had was there kind of like a lull after the Bone Thugs project I mean I feel like well, you guys were always working good projects well, right 
at the time the department expanded and Clancy brought in some other people okay. and he gave me a project to do while still maintaining my duties for him as an assistant. Right. And so he stopped working projects and he just became an executive. Okay. And so he had people under him working projects. You were working with them. And so yeah. I was we're not really working with them because they had their own assistants and they had, so like he was a product manager, then he became the head of product managers. Right. And so he had other product managers. Like, so were you working for someone else technically now? Like, did you have another no. boss, I guess? You no, did it, it was, or you became autonomous, more was, autonomous. Yeah, so it was me, I was working for Chris still. Right. As his assistant, as right. like, what became like an executive assistant. Right. But simultaneously, I was working as a product manager, Got marketing it. director, whatever you want to call it, it, for the Bone Thugs project. Got it. So when the Bone Thugs project was over. So you kind of ran your own race with that, right? Yeah. Like more or less. Yeah. And yeah. so when the Bone Thugs project was over, there was no more projects for me to work. It became it. just about being an assistant. Oh, right. Okay. That makes sense. And that so makes sense. That's, not, that's not where your head was at. And now. that's not right. where yeah, my yeah, head was yeah, at. And yeah. so like I was, you know, in hindsight, probably made some decisions that I wouldn't, I would take back, you know, in the way that I handled things at the time. Yeah. Um, but ultimately felt like I don't want to be an executive. I never wanted to be an executive it, assistant. It's weird, man. Ambition can yeah. be like a double-edged sword, in my opinion. Because yeah. it can drive you to places where most people won't go. Yeah. But it can also turn on you. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And so, that's kind of, you know, I think in my mind, I wanted to to do more important, what I felt at the time were more important things. Right. And schedule meetings and answer phone calls and organize somebody else's life you know yeah and you had already been there for a couple of years yeah, at this like, point this two, was three going years. on two years yeah you know go over two years yeah um and so you know ultimately i ended up leaving the company and trying to figure out like what would be the next step and so that was now like, the question is like so so it's good to like acknowledge like yo this is not where I see my career going and I got to do something, there's there's two ways to do it. Like you either just jump before you know what's next or you know what's next and you jump. Which one did you do? Uh, well, that's a, t- it's a tough question because I mean, essentially I just jumped. Okay, so yeah. But it wasn't necessarily- Which is scarier kind of. By choice. I spent a lot of time trying to find that next step and couldn't find it. And in the process of that, kind of that that affected my work life. Your day to day, yeah, at the company. Because I knew yeah. I was trying to leave, yep. and everyone knew, and yep. it was like this thing. Yeah. So that's part of like, you kind of, you know, my advice to young people would be like, if you're in a position you don't like, like either one, don't make that known. You know what I mean? Like, work your ass off. Like, don't let your job suffer for the fact that you don't like it yeah you know what i mean because ultimately sure. there's other people out there who would love to have that job. i was gonna say you reminds me of that that you know? that hot girl quote yeah show me a hot girl i'll yeah. show you a guy that's tired of being with her yeah you know what i mean exactly <laughs> yeah. so it's like you can't <clears throat> take that for granted you can't take for granted the fact that you still have a job that you have to do well and you have to kill it mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. look for a new job and if you get to a point where you feel like you you don't want to do that job then it's your responsibility as an individual to leave and let somebody else come in and do the job right. And that's kind of where I think 
through my process. But you, you tried to do that. Of you, trying you tried to, to reach yeah. out, but just nothing materialized so nothing, at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, the right thing never yeah. came. And, yeah. and so we got to a point where, you know, Chris and myself were like, you know, this isn't working anymore. We should, you know, I, I'm going to leave. And I'm gonna let somebody else come somebody through. Somebody else, yeah. and I had somebody lined up. It was like you know, I, I was responsible about it as much as I, I felt like I could be at the time. Yeah. And I had somebody there, like working and doing what they, you know, kind of grooming somebody. Yeah. So when I yeah. left, you had an intern. You had an intern that you were yeah. grooming. Yeah. He came in and just took over, and it was like was seamless. able to and run still with friends it. Yeah. Day and everything's good. Yeah. Um. So at the time, I was like, you know, all right, shit. Well, like, what am I gonna do now? You know, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. So, you know, I called up all the people that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve was one of them. And Steve was like, well, actually, let me uh, let me hit you back. Let me think about something. And then he called me back and he was like, yo, I just got this kid named Man signed to Sony. Mm-hmm. I'm partners with this guy, Jamie Adler. You know Jamie. He was Bones' agent. And I was like, yeah, okay. yeah, Jamie. I love Jamie. Yeah. You know, we had hung out with that third. And he's like, he signed to Zach Katz and J.R. Rodin. At the time, J.R. Rodin was just coming off of Beautiful Girls and the uh britney he had that big britney record the yeah big rihanna yeah. record and yeah so he was like being my songwriter of the year like he was super popping and Zach, so 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 this artist man who steve was managing was signed as he was signed, it was a production so, so deal steve with did a uh, co-production deal with zach katz and right J.R. Rodin. okay plus he managed him no so he didn't manage him he was the production company got it and jamie was the manager and steve was like but jamie's not really a manager because he's an agent maybe Got you can it. come in and help with some of now the, it's clear okay. the marketing yep. and, and basically the way it that was how it was on paper but the way it functioned for most of the time was that steve did function in a, in a management capacity you know he was paid as a production company and he earned his money on paper as a production and you company. said he was a vet like he'd manage run dmc yeah, so and everybody you know, so he knows management he knows yeah, management yeah, yeah, yeah. and he knows he has a lot of relationships and you know a lot yeah. of experience so you know he was essentially this sounds like a great scenario by the way so now you get to, yeah you know, so it was yeah. it was so you know i i left and then i jumped right into a scenario managing an artist that was signed to a major label and yep. that felt really good um you know i looked at it as a way to, to make a lot of relationships and uh we put out a single on sony that was not well received okay <laughs> um and we got dropped from sony but at that point, you know, I have that. At that point, I I was in. I dug in. So I'm like, no, I'm no way. I'm gonna let this project fail. But wait a second, wait. I'm but the, but the fail. But the project was seemingly like going down the tubes, right? The artist was being dropped. Like you're making it sound like throughout that process, there was never any worry about what's coming next. But in my mind, I'd be kind of worried. Like we're failing at the label. What's coming next? Like, are we yeah, gonna try? I mean, did I you was, have this yeah, thought? Of course. I was like, I'm just gonna go crazy. Like, right. J.R. Rodham still supported us, so I was like, I'm good. Steve right, Lobel okay. and Zach Katz, the guy who got us. That's a unique situation support. because there's yeah. these other people there, right? Now, normally, if you're an artist at a label, yeah, without that stuff, you're in trouble. So the label dropped him. The production company kept him. Right. So I was like, all right, cool, cool. And the production company was one of the most like popping yeah. uh, production. So I was like, companies. we're still yeah. good. Let's go figure this out so i just like hunkered down with man we made records yeah we made as many records as we could we i went out and got one of my homies to shoot a video for us like yep. and then zach saw that and was like oh okay you guys are working mm-hmm. there's some dope records here i got this relationship with 
David Massey at Island. Let me see if he's into it. We David Massey is president of Island. Yeah. Win a bunch of places. Yep. But ultimately, David loved him. Mm-hmm. Brought him to see L.A. Reid. L.A. Reid loved him. Mm-hmm. We got signed to Island Def Jam. And that was like kind of like the beginning. That's a blessing, dude, because yeah. that, that second deal most often doesn't come. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Well, I mean, I, I you know, but again, you got a, a lot of credit goes <laughs> to Steve Lobel for, for believing in the kid. Continuing to push. And yeah. Zach Katz for going crazy. We went into the building. L.A. Reid saw us, called us, <laughs> said he liked it. Next day, Zach Katz knocked out the whole entire deal. Amazing. Just was like, all right, That's cool. Amazing. I'll be there at 10. We left at like 7 p.m. Deal signed. That's incredible. You that know, never happens. Just man. worked yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Zach was a lawyer, so he just worked it out. Wow. You know, I was just like, yo, I'm just going to wow. work it out. Now, like, talk to us real quick, like, you know, um, about now my deals take like six months. So I was like, <laughs> that's that's more likely actually. Yeah. Talk to us about like man's uh, perspective though, because you know it's like you're hustling and you're pushing, right? But you need your artist had to be in the right space well, man was too, 16, right? So he was ready to go. Like he was just. He but he wasn't. He wasn't bugging to too hard when the Sony thing flopped. He wasn't. I'm sure you had to no, sort of I mean, deal we, with some I mean, of that. We're, you know, at the time you're young, you feel like. Whatever, like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. All right, got right. it once, I'll get it twice. Like I like that. It's no big deal. <laughs> you know, and so that was kind of, and like, and it happened. So it was like, you know, he was good. It, it wasn't that long that we were indie. It was like probably six months. Okay. All right. Yeah. And you were making records and you were, you. it's not like that was dead time. You know, you no, were, we were doing a bunch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We Still pushing, you know, get records yeah. together, everything. All right. Yeah. So, so now, all right. So now you do the David deal with Island. Yeah. And, um... You know, was there any talk of what I love about hip hop is you could just get like a huge feature and ride the elevator to success. Like, so weren't you looking at features? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, that was always part of the thing. I mean, the first song we had a Sony featured Sean Kingston. That didn't work. This is our first song at, at Island featured Jason Derulo. That kind wow. of worked. Um, Wasn't it, there a 50 Cent feature? So, you know, the song Buzzin', which was man's biggest song. Mm hmm. Um, was a song that we had. It was like it was cool. Everyone thought it was dope. It was kind of like we were thinking about like, yo, that's gonna be like the next song that mm-hmm. we put out. Like, I think it's gonna be the next single. And uh, then Manny, who I interned for, called me. He was like, "Hey, man, like Fifty wants to do like a bunch of remixes. Like, what's what's the hottest shit in LA right now?" And I was like, "Well, like YG, man, this, that, and the third. And then he was like, "All right, send me what you can. I'm gonna give it to Fifty and see what he wants to do." So yeah. I sent him buzzing. He jumped on Buzzin'. He jumped on uh, one of YG songs at the time, and he jumped on like I think might have been at the same time. Were you guys like, working with YG? No, it was just like, but they were all coming up together. It was like man, uh-huh. Bobby Brackens, YG, Ty Dolla Sign, yeah. like all kind of coming up at the same time. Um, and Fifty Cent jumped on Buzzin', and then we just kind of ran with it, and it became. Were you guys honestly, you know, because not every verse comes out incredible? Were you guys happy with what yeah, Fifty yeah. did no, to 50's it? Was okay, cool. 50's right, verse okay. was pretty cool. All right. You know, the song is just like a pretty simple, fun song. So, yeah. you know, it, it worked out well. It went in, uh, number six in the UK nice. and got us a lot of international love. Label was um, happy. The label was happy. Right. It, yeah. did, it did well in America. It was, uh, I think it hit to like 60 on the Hot 100. And then it was the number one heat seeker two weeks in a row. And then they fired the radio staff. Oof. Wow. And once that happened, it was over. <laughs> So, you know, these things happen. Man, that's that's why this podcast was created, dude. Right? Cuz like you didn't say cuz like you guys you guys busted your ass up to yeah. this point 
And here you are, you're like riding like another wave of what feels like another wave of success. And then, you know, you get blindsided. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, when that, when something like that happens, you know, if the president of the company still believes like, aren't you good or what's uh, the deal? I mean, you're only so good as the public. I mean, ultimately the president of the right. company can only spend so much money before it starts to be a thing. Um, but no, they, they kept supporting him. We had another song, next single. We had Ayaz and Snoop Dogg. And uh, we did a, a single with them. And that song did, like, relatively well. It didn't go as high as Buzzin', but it did relatively well. And then we had a third single with T-Pain uh, that we put out. And that didn't really connect. Um, probably timing right? with that one. Because it took us, like, I don't know, damn near, like, I think six months to get T-Pain in a room to shoot a video with us. Wow. And by that time, like... He, he was at the height of his he career, started, right? Started, yeah, it started... His... The hype of T-Pain started dwindling. The song started sounding a little bit yeah. like something that's not as hot as it was six yeah. months ago when, yeah. everyone, when we really wanted to go with it. Mm-hmm. The buzz around man was lower. So, you know, you learn those things too. It's like sometimes you can't wait. <laughs> or if you wait too long, you just have to move on. And 100%. And that's just like the hard reality. No, of, these days know, I think... don't last forever. Honestly, though, these days more than ever... You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, everything is, we're pulled in so many different directions and we have ADD, you know? Yeah. So. So, you know, that whole thing kind of played out and ran its course. Um, but in the middle of that, like from like man being signed to buzzing, being successful, I ended up working with a management company as a consultant working for Mark Stewart. Okay. And Mark Stewart is Tricky's brother. And Tri- For those that don't know, Tricky Stewart, Tricky Stewart is a is, big producer. Yeah. yeah. One of the He's biggest. Done one of the biggest. Single Ladies, Umbrella, Touch My Body. There you go. Dream's first two bodies of work. Yep. Uh, Nova came, Frank Ocean, signed Frank Ocean, all sorts of accolades. Go Not to that much, man. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. A couple, couple, yeah, just a couple, couple cool things here and there. I think the, the, Biggest benefit for me working with Mark was a refinement in my my personal taste mm-hmm. and understanding of what type of clients to be involved with. I learned that really through working with Frank Ocean. Because tell us know, about that. Wait, because where's Frank fit in this in this so story? So he was. A writer that had worked with Tricky and Mini Mafia. That's where you guys met? Me and Frank? Yeah, because yeah. he... Right. Okay. So, he, well, he was a writer. He, he had he, worked with Mini Mafia who... And he went who, by Lonnie or something, right? Managed, he didn't even, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was Lonnie bro at the time. And yeah. Mark managed him. Um, he managed Mini Mafia and then Tricky heard about him and signed him mm. to a, a production type thing. Um, and because when Tricky met him, he was like, yo, you... You know, Tricky was trying to get him to go a different direction creatively, I heard. Yeah, well, and that wouldn't like, have been the best direction you're, you're for him. You're an artist. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah. so once he kind of, once Frank committed to his artistry, he wasn't really interested in using some of the records that he had wrote That's as what a I writer. Heard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were like, bro, you're insane. These <laughs> records are so good. The, the more artistic records or the more pop, all, the more poppy the records. records. Okay. He has so many records. So like the, but record, you got to pick your direction though. To well, be I mean, cohesive, that's, that, right? well so. he, yeah, he had an idea of 
records that were in his head, mm-hmm. but we had records that were done. Like, yo, these mm-hmm. records are amazing. Mm-hmm. And if he would have said, like, yeah, let's support those records, he would have had hits with those records. Oh, Frank ended up, up leaving. Ended up going to another camp. From yeah. the management side. Yeah. He ended up leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went with Chris Clancy, actually. So right. It all, came it all comes full circle. circle. Right. Okay. Um, but he, you know, Clancy started managing All Future. Frank started becoming really close to All Future. And so it made sense yep. in that way. Um, but him and Tricky, you know, they were working on records. They worked on Nostalgia Ultra. What did you learn? Um, you know, first of all, you're really fortunate to be around a lot of people that are crushing, yeah, you know, and yeah. so you could take away a lot of um, wisdom. And what did you learn from working with Frank? If I had to say, like, Josh, what's one thing that you observed or learned, you know, working with Frank? Well, I think that his level, Frank's level of quality isn't something that just happens by chance. Right. It's not just like he gets in the studio and like hopes that something good happens. Like he spends a lot of time and a lot of energy getting these things to sound that good and working on these words. And it's not just the right word said almost the right way. It's the right word delivered the right way at the right time in the right space in relation to the right things. So basically the attention to detail is next level. Yeah. I've had all these different things that I had kind of worked on and pitched and, you know, you feel certain ways when you're like in your house versus like, you know, anyone who's done pitch meetings knows that like when you're at the crib and you're listening to those beats, you're like, all right, dope. And then you put them on in the meeting and you start thinking like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have played this one. Like, I don't know if this is actually that uh, hot compared to the hottest shit on the planet. Yeah. You know, because you yeah. start to realize, like, wait a minute. I'm but you in, have to drink your own Kool-Aid, I'm in too. a room with people who hear the hottest exactly, shit on the Exactly. On the planet, right? And exactly. It's like, and, and so, like, working with him gave me, like, two things. It was, like, one, like, it really solidified in, like, being around Tricky. And, like, you, you kind of learn this is, like, your competition is not the, you know, like, my competition is not the pandas of the world. You know what I mean? It's not the soldier boys of the world in terms of those songs are like essentially flukes, right? Like nobody really, you can't repeat that thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a song caught a moment. People loved it. It blew up. They made the right decisions along the way. As a manager, I only want to be involved with things that I can feel a hundred percent confident in. When I press play, you're going to understand and respect what I'm what I'm doing. Yeah. It might not be for you. It might not be the thing that you need right now in your life, but you're not going to be able to be like, ah, uh, I don't know. That's not really that good. Like maybe you guys should work for, you know, a couple more months and, you know, come back to me. It's like, oh shit, that's amazing. Right. But I, right. I don't know. I, I wish I had a way to do something with that, but I don't right now. But mm-hmm. keep in contact. Right. And that was every time that you play the, early long stuff Frank that was it, like, yeah. that's what you get wow. you know and, and if you don't think that this shit is good I could look you in the eye and be like you're insane I'm out of here good luck you know and so that's kind of like that was like the did you actually deliver that those exact no, words to anybody like there's no there's not one person I played that was like oh no that song's not good like just like cause you wouldn't get your parking validated at that point yeah. <laughs> The truth is, is like executives come and go, like producers come and go. But if, if you have a a dope record, right, nothing can, I heard it like, I heard it put like, 
keeping a dope record like from not popping off is like trying to keep a tennis ball underwater. Right. Like it's going to find it, you know? No, I mean, <laughs> you know. It's true. If you have great music, you'll find a way. I think to be an artist, starting from like ground zero, to think that you're going to like, you know, take over the game, you kind of got to have a sense of being delusional because yeah. the odds are so stacked against, I think. Yeah. But you have to have a sense of realness to be able to like, you know, revise your approach or your records, your direction or whatever too, right? So that's an interesting balance. It to also simultaneously be in tune with what the public at large wants to hear the right time in the right place you know? with the right message yeah you know what i mean because sometimes people make great unless you have a time great records that just like aren't for their moment or like i think you see it i think you can see the example more clearly in like the traditional art world where a painter will you know do something really interesting and get ridiculed his whole life and mm -hmm. then a hundred years later the style becomes something that people now they understand and now it makes sense. Like, oh, that person was so far ahead of their time. Yeah. That now the stuff, you know, once they're dead and gone, they're the more appreciated. Yeah. What advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Uh, relax <laughs> and be patient, you know? Um, I think that I probably was maybe more aggressive than I should have been in certain scenarios. Out of, again, was it out of ego? Was it out I mean, of... Probably all of, that, yeah. all of that stuff, you know, just like yeah. kind of wanting more and wanting to be, do more and see more and, yeah. you know, maybe not my 18-year-old self, maybe like my 23-year-old <laughs> self, I would have said that too. My because my eighteen year old self, self would have been, he yeah. wouldn't have been ready to hear it. No, I mean, no, I just did. You know, I made cool decisions as an eighteen year old. I guess that's funny, man. Well, thank you for being here with us today, man. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, do you got any um, any social media that you could shout out? You know, like maybe it's just Joshua Fisher at Joshua Fisher on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter and Instagram. Um, all right, we'll link LinkedIn that up. as well, I think. We'll link that up with the show. Sweet. In case uh, some youngins out there have some questions for yeah, you, absolutely. man. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. No problem. All right. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, man. Peace out. Thanks. Walking on a